good to see you here this morning. Really glad you're here. Uh, I am starting a new message series today called Better Together. And in this series, uh, I would like to say just disclaimer, if you know the Jack Johnson song, it's not related to that. <laughs> Although I do like the song. It's got a good beat. Nice. Anyway, sorry. I'll come back to what we're doing. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how much better life is when you have someone to share it with. We're made this way. We're made to walk through the good, the bad, the ugly of life with a group of people that we can enjoy and who can enjoy us and who can go with the ups and the downs and the all-arounds with us. I don't know if you've noticed, but life happens in groups or in communities. This is the way it happens. The Bible shows us this is God's plan. This is not incidental. This is the way God has made life to work. We're born into a family. We're educated in a class. We have a graduating class. In the graduating class, you probably had the people you ran with out of high school. We play on teams or we don't play on teams. We don't play well with others. Maybe we're on the team, but we don't play with the team. I don't know. I I have a bent toward that. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, We relate to a social circle. We have Google circles. You know, even even in our our one-on-one time with the computer, we create ways to have circles that we can connect with. This, this is the way we are. This is the way life is. We work with coworkers usually. Most of us have coworkers. We have work groups that we cooperate with to get something done. Life happens in groups. This is the way it is. Not incidental. It's a part of God's design. Let's go back to the beginning of time. You find out God is the author of community. He, he started this group thing. Uh, in, in the first chapter of Genesis, you find out God created light. He said, that's good. He created the sky. Good. Land. It was good. Vegetation and trees. All good. Sun, moon, stars. Good. Animals. Good. Mankind. Good. But something wasn't quite right. Something was not good. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I'm going to make a helper who completes him, complements him. It's not good for man to be alone. So he made the woman. He looked over all creation. He noticed one thing wasn't good. Man was alone. That word, this was originally written in the Hebrew. That word in the Hebrew properly means separation. And the implication is like a separated part of the body or a branch of a tree. They don't do well. You cut the branch off a tree, it doesn't do well. Cut a part off a body, it doesn't, it doesn't stay alive. We, we are made to be connected. We aren't made to be alone. It's interesting to me that the two of the main snapshots that you get of the church in the New Testament, this is the beginning of the Bible, on into the New Testament, uh, the two main snapshots are church is a body and it's a fruit bearing tree. Two, two big ideas. And we're going to get back to that. But because in this series, we're talking about God's purpose for the church and what he's trying to accomplish here. But anyway, at the beginning, wasn't good. Man was alone. He was separated. He was by himself. He was isolated. 
So he makes the woman to complete the man. She would provide companionship as they did what God told them to do, as they tried to accomplish his purpose in the world. She would allow him to create a family, a group, who would allow other families to be created, who would allow communities and nations to be created. This is what God had in mind all along. He, this isn't incidental. He made us so that life is better together. It's better as we live it with someone else, with a group of folks. Studies actually show that there are serious damaging effects of isolation. There are clear relationships between isolation and a heightened risk of heart disease and depression. Isolation kills. It's not good. We weren't made to live that way. God shows us that in Genesis 2, he's showing us that, you know, he he made man, put him in paradise, Garden of Eden. It's paradise. We'd love to get back there. We'd love to figure out where it is. We kind of think we know. Um, But paradise is just another place to be if you don't have someone to share it with. It's not that great because even though you may be breathing, if you're isolated, you aren't fully alive. The problem is with groups of people, you know, when you show up and you want to be a part of a group of people, the problem is there's people there. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem with the groups thing. You know, it's, it's like you show up and wherever I go, there I am. I'm my own set of problems. And then there's a group of people that I have to sort of relate to and figure out how to fit together with and cooperate with. And it's it's something else. I'd like to show you a clip from the movie Defiance. And it's a movie about a group of people who are fighting to survive in the forests of German-occupied Poland. And what happens is the Bilski brothers... Uh, are some men who take responsibility to look after a large mass of Polish Jews who are running from the Nazi war machine. And so I'd like you to show this clip. It's typical of what happens in groups. Check it out. You want to be a Bilski? You know me? We heard of him in Vilno. Vilno? My sister My family is there. Yes, he came without warning. Oh, <laughs> we'll be better off in the ghetto. <laughs> at least here we are safe. There, at least we have hope. No, here we have hope. Do we? We have no food. Tomorrow will be another mistake. Look, Look what happened last time. That was a mistake. The mistake will not be made. Well, how do you know? We may be here a long time, so we have to prepare. How? Better security. Better at getting food. We don't have weapons. People are getting sick. We cannot afford revenge. Not now. 
We cannot afford to lose friends like Yakov and Peretz. Or the soil. Not lose anyone. We will map out where we have been, so as not to visit the same farms too often, and we will take only from those who can afford to give, and we will leave those who can't alone. Our revenge is to live. The poorest farmer has more than us. Quiet. What I am saying is we are not thieves. Or murderers. We may be hunted like animals, but, but we will not become animals. We have all chosen this. To live here free like human beings for as long as we can. Every day of freedom is like an act of faith. And if we should die, trying to live, then at least we die like human beings. It's an excellent movie, and what happens with this group of people is typical of what God does, and we'll get back to that, but he raises up a leader, and then he coalesces a group around that leader. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but you notice the bickering that was going on, and the complaining, and the, oh, what about me? This is a pull. We have a pull in us towards selfishness, thing that makes groups work. Families, groups, churches, workplaces is a selflessness, a focus on the, the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish, the purpose. We have this pull toward isolation because we've lost our connection to God that has broken our fellowship with him and cut us off from what we need that gives us the ability to focus on other people. I have my own, you know, issues with this. I mean, this, I, this pull toward self-focus, I wrecked my own havoc in my family growing up. You know, I was the youngest, and I, I, could, I could tweak the whole thing. I could ruin the day right there for people. If they allowed it, it's their choice. But I could throw a fit like the rest of them. And boy, that just really doesn't make it fun. Then in high school, I played basketball. That's a team. That's a group. You know, the idea is that you cooperate to work toward the goal, and you try to throw the ball in the hoop. You know, that's what you're trying to do. Well, we had a play where I always ended up with the ball. There were two options when I got the ball. One was to, one was to shoot or one was to pass. Guess, guess which one I preferred. <laughs> shoot the ball, Randy. Shoot the ball. You'll make it. Everybody will cheer. It'll be fantastic. You'll be the hero. That's my bent. But since I committed my life to follow Christ, what he's been doing is he has been turning me inside out to become more selfless. And I'm growing in that. Played basketball in my mid-40s. 
on a team called the Bricks, a bunch of old guys we could barely walk. <laughs> but played basketball on that team. What I did is we had Coach Abel. Coach Abel could really barely walk, but he really loved basketball. He wanted to be out there. And Coach Abel, I just said, hey, Coach, just tell me when to shoot. When you tell me to shoot, I'll shoot. So every once in a while, I'd say, Randy, you need to start shooting. Because a certain percentage of my shots would go in. You know, and so he thought, well, it's time to take a chance on Randy, see if he's hot. <laughs> and so I've grown. Okay, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus does. <laughs> he helps you grow to work in groups, to turn you inside out, to be more selfless, not to grab the ball and hold on to it and shoot it every time. I want to show you a brief snapshot of how the Bible explains this problem. Sort of the backdrop of what we're talking about today, how we lost connection to God and where the friction in our family relationships and friendships comes from. Uh, it's a Reader's Digest or a condensed version, what the Bible says necessary to commit your life to Christ. I love going back over this because it reminds me of where life comes from. Uh, the Bible says that God loves you and I, and he wants us to experience abundant life, real life, the best kind of life possible. But rather than turning to God, every one of us began to sin, going our own way, trying to be our own boss. If you read Genesis 3, I read Genesis 2.18. If you read Genesis 3, you learn that the first man and woman rebelled against God and decided to separate from him. They, they pulled away from him to handle life on their own, to live life independently of him. And the Bible says we've all done the same. Every one of us has, we've done the same thing. We've, we've tried to live life on our own. We gave a stamp of approval to their decision. So the result is our separation from God. The Bible says sin, this rebellion, has cut us off from knowing God personally. This is the source of the friction. This is the source of the relational difficulties. Because one thing that happened after the first man and woman decided sin is, there, there was a, a problem, a curse that God wired into the way we relate that created this friction. He did that for a reason, so that we'd go back to him and rely on him again rather than each other. He wired that in to sort of frustrate us to the point where we'd go back to him again. But that was the consequence of that decision. But that's the pull. So this result of our decision to separate from God is separation from God. He said, okay, if you want to separate, you're free to go. So instead of experiencing the life and freedom God desires for us, people are actually dead spiritually, cut off from knowing God personally and actually in bondage to the enemy. Being separated from God cut us off from, like the branch of a tree, the nourishment, the love that we need to draw on constantly so that we can be selfless so that we can show love to others. So we turn selfish instead of selfless many times. To remedy the situation, God sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and he was raised from the dead. The Bible says that all people without Jesus are destined for hell, but those who repent, who turn around and yield their life to Jesus as boss of their life, will become children of God, we're reconnected, and we experience life and freedom the way God desires it. If you haven't yet yielded your life to Christ, turned around and yielded your, him and you, your life to him, and you want more 
information. Let us know on the connection card. There's a place to, to check more information. But that's the backstory to what we're talking about. Because God is the author of community, and when we separated from him as a human race, he began to work to restore the connection to himself. He wants us to enjoy community. He wants us to enjoy one another. And so he began to work through, even through the problems, in the middle of the problems and the conflicts and relationships. Since that rebellion, he's been working to restore mankind into a relationship with himself. And in the way he does it, we see how much God values community by what he does, by what he does in history. From the moment the first man and woman rebelled, God has been working a plan to bring us back into a relationship with him to restore and redeem us. To redeem means to buy something back, to pay the ransom, to pay the price for them to be bought back. When you look over history, you see the plan that God's been working. A pattern emerges in the way that God works to redeem the world. And we're going to walk through this. We're going to walk through history. We're going to hit some highlights of history as we look back. But first thing, he chooses a leader. Someone he can count on. Someone who will follow his direction and take a risk to do what he says. First, first one, first leader was a guy named Abram. Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Leave everything that's comfortable and familiar and go where I'm showing you. He asked Abram to do this. He had a good idea that he would. Abram does it. The next thing God tells him is, I'm going to form a community. And this is what God does. He, he, said, he picks a leader. He forms a community. This is what you see him doing in defiance. You know, the Bilsky brothers were the leaders. God wanted people to, to live. So he picked them. He raised them up, coalesced a group around them, and they survived. Many of them. Most of that group survived. But this is what he does. He, he picks a leader. He forms a community. Look at Genesis 12, 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, a nation, a community, an identifiable group of people. A community in the dictionary, if you go to Webster's, this is what it says. A unified body of individuals, a state, a commonwealth, in other words, a nation. People with common interests living in a particular area. There's boundaries to a community. A, a group of people with common characteristic or interests living together within a larger society. So there, these are different kinds of communities. But that's what it is. God does this. He picks a leader. He forms a community. And then he works in the community and through the community. Before Jesus, the primary community that God works in and through was the nation of Israel. He, was, he picked the nation. He formed the nation of Israel. That's Abraham, Abram, who became Abraham. And through the nation of Israel, he was trying to show the world what he's like. Since Jesus, he works through the church in its various forms. And so different places that we find a bunch of people, he has communities crop up. Here's the next characteristic of what he does, the pattern that God uses. 
He reaches through the community to the world around it. So he picks a leader, forms a community, reaches through the community to the world around it. In, in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He, he doesn't, God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't like pick this group and I'm going to bless this group. His goal is to reach through that group of people to the world around it. So here's God's pattern. He chooses a leader, forms a community, and reaches through the community to the world around it. This shows us how much value God places on communities. They actually flow out of who he is. This, this emphasis is not incidental. It's not accidental. It's, it flows out of who God is, and we'll see it more in a prayer that Jesus prayed that we're going to look at. But this is what church is about. This is what he's trying to do in church. This is what he does in, you know, in life. He raises up a leader who forms a community that he can work through. This is what God's been doing at CIV over the past 25 years. It's what he does in churches throughout the world. He brings them together to do his purpose. He's been building a community here to fulfill his purpose and include other people in it which is a major part of his purpose. That's why we're adding the campus in Alhambra. Not for convenience sake, that's for sure. But because this is a part of what God wants to do through us. This is what he's trying to accomplish in and through us. This is a pattern you see all over the Bible. All over the Bible. This is the way God works. You can see it in Nehemiah. And I won't tell you the whole story, but you can read the book. It's a fascinating book. The community... The nation of Israel that God worked through at the time was unraveling. So he chose Nehemiah to bring it back together, to bring the community back together. He chooses a leader. He brings the community back together through that leader. Jesus was on this same page. And you you can see that he picks up on the pattern in his prayer for his followers toward the end of his life. Jesus did the same thing. He, He selected a group of disciples. Twelve disciples, and they were going to be the leaders. They were a little community themselves, but they knew their role was not to just be a community for themselves, but to reach out to others. And so it was through those leaders that he communities cropped up all over the world, church communities that he would bless and work through to accomplish his purpose. But you see this in Jesus prayer, how important this is. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. I pray for those. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. Praying for the disciples and also for us. That all of them may be one. Unity is incredibly important. Community. (laughs) It's a unity. It's very important to accomplishing this purpose. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, God himself is the model of community. He's a unity. Three persons, one God. That's, that blows our mind. It's hard to understand. Don't have time to go into that. But he himself is a community. And he, this, so this pattern flows out of who he is. It's not a mistake. It's not incidental. It doesn't just happen. Um, He goes on, may they also be in us, you and I, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see the same pattern in the prayer. He picks the disciples. He prays that they'd be unified so that the world around them would know that he is actually God's son. Pattern shows up again. We can pick up the pattern in the the beginning of Jesus' movement, the first church. Um, what, What happened, Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. He returned to heaven. And the disciples were hanging around. They were sort of hiding, waiting for what's going to happen next, hanging around. And then uh, God did this amazing thing, and the Holy Spirit came down into the disciples. They began to speak in languages. Anyway, it happened in the temple and drew a commotion. You can read about it in Acts 2. Um, But this commotion happens. This crowd gathers. Peter stands up. And explains the gospel to the crowd. Many people believed. At that point, many, many people believed. And this is a description of what they did. A community forms. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which was either communion, probably communion, or maybe even just they ate together in houses. They got together. They kept, they kept living life together. So they devoted themselves to those things and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There it is again, the same pattern. This community God puts together to reach through it to the world around it. Here's a glimpse of heaven. You see what heaven, where we're headed. This is where history's headed. This is where we're headed. If you know Jesus Christ, this is where we're headed. Revelation 21, and I saw the holy city. A city. City's a community. God is forming a community, an eternal community. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4 says, there's going to be no more pain, no more tears, constant joy and peace. In the Bible, we find out heaven's a city, it's a community, with God living in the middle of it. And this is where God is taking us. He wants us to make it to that community and bring as many people along with, with us as we can. Complete joy as we relate to one another. This is where we're going. So what does that mean? What does all this mean for you and I? What, what, is, what, what, is, what do I do now after knowing that as the backdrop? Well, God wants us to get connected to him and to his church body. If you're already connected, 
He wants you to stay connected. He's building this community for eternity and wants us to be a part of it. And we can get a taste of it now as we learn to relate to one another rightly in the here and now. So first of all, we need to make sure that we're connected to him. Ephesians 2, 15, 16 says his purpose, talking about Jesus, was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus restores the connection to God. We're reconciled to God through him. And he puts us in his community. We've splintered off. But Jesus grafts us back in. Here's, here's a tree I have in my backyard. It's called the salad citrus tree. And um, you can't really see it. I really wish all the fruit was ripe because and you can probably see the orange. Those are honey mandarin oranges. They're getting too big because I need to pick them. And to the left at the bottom are limes. Around to the other side, they're not orange yet, but there are navel oranges, and on the back of the tree are lemons. My wife says that's unnatural. And I say it's biblical, because that's my answer, because what Jesus does and what this verse is describing is he grafts us back into, he connects us to God, he grafts us back into a relationship with him that allows us to have what we need to bear the fruit that brings honor and glory to him. This restoration of the connection meets a deep need in our lives for acceptance. It takes the pressure off. We really understand what God does, who he is, how much he loves us, what he's done to bring us back into a relationship with him. It takes the pressure off. You can relate in a healthy way because you don't have to squeeze acceptance and love out of other people. You can get it from God and give it to others. And many times he provides it through other people, but you don't, you don't, you don't desperately have to squeeze it out of them. God, as his grace works its way through our system, makes relationships better as it takes the pressure off. And I can think about being selfless rather than selfish and making sure I get mine. That's how Jesus works. When we learn to relate rightly in this way in the church, boy, it makes a difference in the lives of people as they come around it. So getting connected to God is number one priority. gives us what we need. Then he wants us to get connected to the church community by finding friends in it. Not just going to church, not just one on however many hundred, um, but finding friends that we can connect with that are going to help us and pursuing friendships. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's easy to skate on the surface of life. You know, we, we can have many acquaintances and not very many heart friends. We have Facebook friends, hundreds maybe. You know, how many deep conversations do you have with a lot of your Facebook friends? Probably not a lot. We have Twitter followers. But the way to get the most out of the Christian life is to connect with other people who are trying to follow Christ and find encouragement there. 
Living social is the way to get the most out of the Christian life. Social means needing companionship and therefore best suited to living in communities. That's why it's interesting. The World Wide Web, there's all kinds of community opportunities that crop up. It's the way we're wired. But we have to be intentional to develop real friendships with people. We need to pursue friendships where we can be a help and where we can be helped. This is what church is all about. It's a place where this can occur. This is why God brings the community together. Next week, we're going to look at obstacles to that. But it's important to pursue friendships. Here at CIV, we want you to do that. Plug into the community here. If you don't live around here, if it doesn't make sense to plug in here, find a place to plug in. The Bible says if you want friends, be a friend. Get involved and be a friend. This means that we, we should be more involved, not less involved in what's going on in the life of the church. This isn't going to happen by accident. We have a lot of people who are doing a lot of chores around Church in the Valley right now. Picked up a lot of, a lot of responsibilities trying to make the, the new campus happen making things still go here. I really appreciate it. It's amazing to watch people step up, to work together to do what God has called us to do. It's really it's fun to watch. We're bearing a heavier load. And I, I deeply appreciate that. But this is a part of it. This isn't going to happen by accident. People are going to have to make decisions to go all in. And no matter where you're at, think about it. What's your next step of involvement? What's your next step to pursue friends? And how can you connect? What we tend to do is, we, one tendency is sort of treat church life like a mall. Well, I'm going to go to this church for this, or I'm going to go to that church for this, because they have a really good whatever program, and the teaching's great here. And, but what happens is, God, I, I encourage you, pick a place and dive in, if, if, if that's your perspective. Because... As you connect to a group of people, there are things to work through. As you work through those things, God really grows you and changes you. Very, very important. This isn't by accident. It's not incidental. God puts us together in a community to do what he wants to do in the world. I'd like to wrap up the message by asking you, if you would, to think through your next steps. If you'd pull out the connection card uh, that you had earlier and look it over that'd be great might finish any information or next steps that i'm suggesting suggesting to you as the band comes up um when the offering ushers come around just put the card in the offering that'd be great but here's some next steps for the first time i'm deciding to accept christ as my savior and follow him as lord maybe you've never decided to reconnect with god through christ and now's the time you want to do that. Let us know. We'd love to encourage you in that and help you along those lines. Um, another step would be, come on up, guys. Uh, another step would be pursue friendships in the church community here at Church in the Valley. Or if you're on, if you're on a campus and you're involved in a campus ministry, I know a lot of SC students, plug in there. Find friends. Plug in. Pursue that. You can sign up for a life group. Uh, just put the number and the night on the on the uh, connection card. There's a place to do that in the back under next steps. Uh, maybe your next steps to increase your involvement in the church community. Uh, you can do that. One way to do it is to attend Discovering CIV and find out more 
about how to do that. If you haven't attended yet, if you've been to CIV Preview, you can come to 101 today, uh, and that'd be great. We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to have you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word, <clears throat> for the way that you work in and through us. Help make us more and more a blessing to those around us, God, us as individuals and, and as a community. Teach us, grow us, shape us to be more like you so that we could bless and love those around us. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.